In the fast-paced world of attacking, speed is everything. And that's where the Furon 7 Plus shines. Engineered for accuracy and precision at a rapid pace, it's your secret weapon on the pitch. Experience overall comfort and precise striking, even in the game's fastest moments. The nylon outsole, with its V-shaped stud configuration, is designed for firm ground, giving you the grip you need to outmaneuver your opponents. Step up your attacking game and learn more and purchase the Furon at NewBalance.com. Welcome to this edition of the Inside Carolina Podcast. I am your host, Tommy Ashley. It is Tuesday night. That means it's on the beat, and that means it's live on YouTube. So if you're looking now, you're getting a sneak peek at what others will have to get to later. Of course, you recognize Gregory Hall on my screen, Greg Barnes on my screen, Inside Carolina permanent beat writers. Greg Hall. How about that, Gregory? You, you're one of us now, or you're actually one of Greg Barnes's now. You're not one of me. You're better than me, so... Props to you on that step up. And also, if you don't recognize the fourth picture on the screen, that is the Josh Pate of Lake Kick. Josh, what's going on, man? I'm well, I'm happy to be here, first off. The I gotta tell you, the background lighting for, for Gregory Hall down here borders on sexy. At the very least, it's attractive. And Wait, can all we I have Josh is, on more often? Just nasty, ratchety, fluorescent office light in an office, by the way, that Virtually no other human being has been in in about a year. So that's that's how it is at 247 HQ here in Nashville right now. You uh, A couple things. One, in Nashville, I would be reporting live from like the Bluebird or something, having right. my set up out there. And, and you have already made Gregory Hall love you, and you've been on the show for less than 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we got two more to go. One down, two more to go. So we're going to do <laughs> as much work as we can here. <laughs> Let's, <laughs> that is hilarious. Of course, we're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. They are uh, the place to be to get your Carolina gear, both on Franklin Street and online. If you can't get to Franklin Street, really no excuse these days. Uh, football games and all the such. Be on Franklin Street to get your Johnny T-Shirt. Let me start, even though we've got Mr. Pate as our guest, let me start with Greg Barnes because I've got a lead with the godfather of Inside Carolina's reporting. Greg, oh. we're, we're what, three days in the camp? four days into camp uh are things going as expected um from a covering standpoint and also from a progression standpoint i listened to jay bateman today uh and, and, you know and i've said this word a few times leading up to this season these these boys are giddy with what they have rolling out on the field this season bateman um i mean it's almost an embarrassment of riches when you listen to him talk yeah, we're actually six days in the camp. Uh, they haven't had a break yet. First break will be Wednesday. Uh, but the key thing is that North Carolina got through the five-day acclimation period. Yeah, they had to be in, in jerseys and shorts first two days, and you go into shoulder pads, and then Monday was the first full day of pads. Uh, and, and what the staff has done on both sides of the ball is they're always installing offense and defense, right? The idea is the more you install it, the more the guys know the base stuff, and then you can kind of build upon that. Phil Longo got done with install on Sunday, so that by the time they get the pads on on Monday, he can start going into – he uses the term progressionary. I'm not sure if that's a real word or not, um, but the idea is that you have your base in place, and then any of the wrinkles that he's going to add start to be put into place at that, and they'll, they'll do another install – uh, later in the camp, but it's just just the repetition, making sure these guys understand what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, you mentioned Jay Bateman. Phil Longo has known what he's had. Uh, he, he had a very good offense last year. Uh, they add Ty Chandler to the mix, and, and I think he's he's happy with what he's got. He's got a Heisman Trophy candidate 
at quarterback. He's got his entire offensive line back, got some good weapons at, at wide receiver. Jay Bateman, though, to your point, Tommy, uh, he has really had to work his first two years at Chapel Hill without having the personnel that he wants. Um, and so, yes, he does have talent. A lot of that talent is very inexperienced. So that talent has to grow up. But in terms of the bodies, he has what he wants. He's got 10 guys that weigh 285 or more up front. Therefore, he's going to be, be able to move to Mon Fox, to outside linebacker, which is more of his natural position. He had to play a lot inside at you know, defensive end last year. Uh, that's, that's asking a lot in a 3-4. Uh, and then he's got pieces on the back end that now he's comfortable moving them around. Uh, really, Jacarius Conley kind of broke it down to us today, but came in. Expecting him to be a safety. They had to move him to nickel really just to get him on the field last year. Now there's enough depth in place. Uh, they can utilize him where they want him uh, at, at safety. That's a, that's a big boost. You got four guys at cornerback who they really like right now. And then you got, of course, the linebackers. Power Eccles has really stepped up, apparently. Uh, we know what Jeremiah Gimmel says, what brings to the table. So there's a lot of pieces there that Jay Bateman can work with. And I think Giddy is right. He's always a very optimistic guy. He's not one that's, that's ever talked down about his players. Uh, but even so, you can tell that he's just juiced and he's just really excited about what he has. Josh, I listened to the defensive talk, and that's something that I've been on um, for the past couple of years. I mean, the offense is fine. The defense has got to get better. That's what makes them elite. Um, I, I listened to your shows, and when you mentioned Carolina, you mentioned Ty Chandler as the hinge player for North Carolina. I don't know if I agree with that. So I'm going to let you explain to our Inside Carolina listeners why you believe that. And I'll tell you why I don't believe that. I think that when you have Sam Howell, you have a guy like that, then that's going to, the offense is going to be good regardless if Sam Howell is back there. I understand what they lost. I understand the importance of Chandler, but I think it's the defense that takes this team from an Orange Bowl team uh, to continue that progression up to the 10, 11 uh, win total. Tell us why Ty Chandler is your guy. Yeah. So the defensive aspect, like there's no disagreement with what you're saying there on my end. The reason I label Chandler a hinge player is I mean that's a, that's a phrase that I use anytime I've isolated a guy that will have a disproportionate impact on several games worth in a season depending on his health or, or availability or production. The reason that I've circled Chandler was quite simply the production that's having to be replaced there, and acknowledging how good they are at quarterback, acknowledging sort of the plug and play aspect that Phil Longo really has up there now. Um, because they're so, their, their system is so established. So acknowledging all that, when I looked at Chandler go in there, I think he's a perfect fit. And, it, and if he pans out, I mean, if he delivers the way we think he can, I've got high hopes for both sides of the ball, for him to be honest. But if for whatever reason, injury or lack of production, he didn't pan out. When I look at them, I think he's very complimentary. I think his production is very complimentary. And I think everything else working off that is how – their offense hums at the level you expect it to. In other words, when we think of Phil Longo, we think of UNC offense. This particular year, I can't fill that blank with red Sharpie like I would want to do unless I get what I want to out of Ty Chandler. Over under 1,200 all-purpose yards. Over. Wow. Yeah, all-purpose yards? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. Doable, definitely. I have him at like 900 rushing yards, and then we'll see what they use him out of the backfield for. Yep. So I think it's definitely doable, but I don't. You, you answered that a lot quicker than I thought you would. 
So this is interesting discussion to me, and I'm, I'm trying to keep up with the YouTube chat, and you bring out the, the questions for sure. But if Chandler has over 1,200 yards and the defense gets a little better, where's Carolina, in your opinion, this season? And I know we're jumping around, but – No, no, it's fine. Um, if we check both of those boxes, you are the – you're winning the coastal first off um you've got even at this program's best you've still got a hill to climb to top clemson but the conversation i think we start to get ourselves in now if we start to fully deliver on the ty chandler promise and especially a lot of the young guys up front defensively pan out we talked about just now a lot of the cross training that had to happen last year out of necessity on defense that greatly behooves you this year because you just got that much more versatility and and fluency of defense if all that stuff happens the conversation I think we start to have is regardless of what Clemson does do you work yourself into a position where you're viewed on the national scene as being a playoff caliber team regardless of what may happen in a conference championship setting it's some of the same kind of talk that started to circulate around Texas A&M last year difference was the big dog for them was in their own division. But number two, no one believed in AM's quarterback play. In this scenario, the nation believes in Sam Howell. They believe in UNC's quarterback play. And whether they tell you that or not, I think that matters to that committee. So we're putting cart way, way, way ahead of the horse at the moment. But um, it's fun to play hypotheticals. I think if all those boxes were checked, the top end of this team is being in that playoff conversation. Can you realistically expect – and we are way out. <laughs> we are way down. But I mean, is it? Can we realistically expect that the committee would take two ACC teams? No. Well, it doesn't sound like it makes a lot of sense. But if everything were to play out to where you've got some undefeated Big Twelve, and then the SEC does what they normally do, and the Big Ten does what they normally do, Notre Dame's in the mix or whatever. No, in all likelihood, it wouldn't happen. But then you view what we're talking about against the backdrop of this particular season, like I'm a believer, we got a chance to see multiple one loss teams in the playoff this year, instead of just this, this hodgepodge of undefeated elites, because you got too much young quarterback play out there and you got too much returning experience on both sides of the ball for just your average team out there with the super senior rule. So I just think that there is, it's, it's not necessarily a parity-driven sport, but I think you trim the top of the canopy of the sport this year to a certain degree to where maybe it doesn't work itself out all neat and clean like everyone expects it to in preview magazine culture. My point is, we sit here in August and we say, can two ACC teams make the playoff? Well, in all likelihood, no would be the answer. But then what if we, what if we get in November and we just got a mess Looks like the SEC may put out a two-win or two-loss conference champion. Um, there is no blemish-free team out of the Big Ten. I mean, what if Iowa State does surprise people in round one against Oklahoma, and then Oklahoma gets their, their comeback in the conference title game, and it's just not as clear-cut as it seems? At that point, there's this other factor to keep in mind, too. The perception of the ACC going into the year can change during the year with all the experienced quarterback play up and down the league. Maybe the reputation – is overtaken by the reality of the season. And so maybe the reputation does not drag that second team down like we think it may, talking in August. Uh, I think there's two key things here. Uh, number one is the fact that the North Carolina is number nine in the coaches poll. 
likely will be in the same situation with the AP poll. And as we've seen over the years, while preseason rankings don't matter in terms of giving us an idea who's actually good, it does matter in terms of perception. Yep. And so if you're already in the top 10, you can suffer a loss and it not hurt you as bad as maybe if say you're number 19, you lose early, you fall out top 25. It's hard to get back in it. So being ranked highly really helps. And I think the schedule kind of sets up for North Carolina there. Something Josh said, though, that I think is very important. When you talk about Texas A&M being in the SEC West with Alabama, A&M lost their second game of the year last year. The only game they lost all year to Alabama, and Alabama did it in impressive fashion. So Texas A&M had to fight against that big loss. I mean, what was it, like 52, 52 to 24? Um, all year long, they fought against that. And it, you know, it probably played a role in the, in the playoff conversation for them. North Carolina was, would not have that hurdle in terms of having to play Clemson during the regular season. Yes, if they want to be in the playoff pitcher, they would have to beat them in the ACC championship game. But that may be a good thing for them because even if they do lose at Notre Dame or they do lose to Miami or even at Virginia Tech to start the season, they, they have an opportunity there at the end to be in the conversation and to have a high profile game of saying, look, if we can beat Clemson, even if we're maybe even 10 and two, but probably 11 and one, then you've got a catapult into that playoff situation. Um, so I think, the, I think not having to play Clemson during the regular season, but having that opportunity in the ACC championship game really works in UNC's favor with this. Here's my issue with all of that. If Carolina loses a game in the regular season, whether they're ninth or fifth, they're going to drop like a rock. Not necessarily. I don't. I don't agree with that. Hype's too high. Where did they I go mean, after they lost to Florida State? They were fifth. Where'd they go? Yeah, they didn't. Diff- we're talking different hype there, though. We're talking about the Big Ten wasn't playing, the Pac-12 wasn't playing. I mean, it was a different year. Yeah. Uh, and you're right. The hype was was different too, and that North Carolina was thought to be good. They weren't considered an elite by any stretch. They weren't considered a legitimate top 10. I mean, we talked about them not being a number five team in the country at that point in time. Right. Um, I mean, now, Max if they said go it in, as soon as the game was over. Right. Now, if they go up to Blacksburg and lose in the opening game, well, maybe that changes things. But if they win what they're supposed to, and the only losses they potentially have is, say, a Miami, that's a legitimate top 25 team, or maybe Notre Dame, who's a legitimate top 10 team, I think you can you can save yourself a little bit and not not fall too far as long as you take care of the other games. So this right. is a question for Josh and also you, Greg and Tommy. You can chime in if you want. Tommy, you mentioned if they lose. Greg, you mentioned Miami being the largest threat. So outside of Miami, Josh, who's their biggest threat on their schedule? ACC team wise, obviously Notre Dame doesn't count because they're not in the ACC in this season. I. I think it's tempting as I'm looking at the schedule right now, like it's tempting to look all the way at the end of the year at that trip to NC state. But man, I I'm telling you, like I've had this Virginia tech game circled for quite a while. Granted it's week one. So everyone's got week one circled in general, but I mean, you guys can tell me what you think about this. Cause this is a college football point instead of just a UNC point. I am a big believer that if we follow through and we're having full stadiums this year and you're looking at, a third to, in some cases, for some young teams, half of a roster not having played in that full stadium environment. And, and especially if I'm taking a timing and rhythm-based offense on the road, I, I don't know how to quantify it. I know an odds maker would say, oh, I'm going to put uh, three and a quarter points worth of home field advantage. I don't know how you quantify it. I'm just telling you I think it's worth more first half of a season this year than it normally would be. And I, 
I, I always try and envision these games playing out in my head. And I just, I can close my eyes and I can very easily see North Carolina going on the road, being favored there. And we get to the end of the first quarter and there's been like a botch snap and that place is outside of its mind is three to nothing Virginia tech and North Carolina's had three drives totaling 27 yards so far. And you go to break out of the first quarter and, you know, it's just, will North Carolina get their act together? We'll find out in the second quarter when we come back. My point is, that worries me. Like, that kind of scenario worries me. Maybe they jump out 21 nothing, and it's not a big deal. But that thing, it feels, that game, I like to say rattly. That game feels rattly to me. That week one game, it's got to rattle when I talk about it. And I agree with you 100%. And going up there to see it, I personally am going to see it from the stands is because I think it's Virginia Tech swan song. I think it's their program swan song. We shall see. But, Greg, looking back at the Florida State game last year, I think what Josh is talking about played a role in that game a little bit because there were yeah. more people in those stands than Carolina was used to. I mean, you've been and you guys have covered a ton of games. How much does that matter? Jason Staples will tell you, and he said it on this podcast, that Virginia Tech's not as loud as it sounds on the field. Whatever. It's still going to be loud compared to last season. Greg, how much does that away factor – um, how much is it going to play in for this team? And it, it, quite frankly, I mean, Sam Howell's been there forever, it seems, but most of these other guys are still fresh. Yeah, for sure. And I do think that the Florida State aspect that they had some fans, it's, it's amazing when you only have, you know, say 20,000 fans in the stadium and you're used to packed houses, you're like, wow, this place is really quiet. Like if you go to a typical Duke game, right? However, when you have a long stretch of games where there's nobody in attendance and then you add 20,000 people, it's a game changer. Uh, we, we really saw that in basketball, but the same applies to, to football as well. So I, I do think that was a big part of it. I also think it was the fact that North Carolina felt good about themselves. They listened to the headlines and to the hype and to the talking heads about how good they were at that point in time. Uh, and as, as we found out, they weren't that good. Uh, maybe by the end of the year that they got to be a legitimate top 10 level team. Uh, but now they have those expectations. And uh, no doubt Mac Brown and his coaching staff has really made a big deal about, you know, everybody's going to be after you this year. You're the, you're the coastal favorite. Um, there's a target on your back. And the fact that they're going, you know, I think the point that there's not many guys on this team who have played in that kind of atmosphere, especially the young guys, I think that's relevant. I think that's a concern. So how they weather the storm, because that place is going to be rocking at kickoff. Um, and so you just want to make sure that you're competitive, uh, that the game doesn't you turn on some ugly turnovers early, kind of like the FSU game did, where all of a sudden you're down 21 points. That's problem, right? You, you can't really do a whole lot with that. Uh, but you, as long as the game is close, I think North Carolina is the better team. You can, you can persevere and you can kind of come out after halftime and, and have control. Uh, but if things are ugly early and you're not responding well, uh, that's going to be cause for concern. And with the hype and with all the expectation, that's when things start to tighten up, right? You start to feel that pressure. Like, Whoa, wait a minute, we're supposed to win this game and we're not. Uh, we can't mess up here. And, and that's, that's when things tend to go wrong for teams. Josh, in, go Sorry, ahead, Tommy. No, I'm stepping on you. Go ahead. Um, one, I think the mistakes that most likely are to be made are these receivers dropping passes week mm -hmm. one with the hype. I think you could see an Anton Green, Emory Simmons, Emory Simmons, even Josh Downs go out for pass and drop wide open balls first few drives. I think if we're going to see any mistakes, that's what we're going to see. Second of all, Greg, one of the viewers has 
asked if your bet to buck on UNC beating VT by double digits and betting him a bottle of bourbon still stands. Absolutely. Right. I'm, with, I'm with Tommy. I, I think, I think Virginia Tech's uh, not a big uh, Fuente fan. I, I think the program's kind of on a slide. I think they have, a, they have a good team this year. Uh, I don't see a lot in the recruiting ranks to, to make me believe that they're going to, you know, uh, get back to where Frank Bamer had them. Bamer, can you speak? Bamer. Um, Bamer. That's my, uh, my Gastonia coming out. Um, but but I, not having Bud Foster, you know, that's a guy that was so good at what he did uh, that he, he built a floor. And that floor typically was maybe six or seven games a year. You can count on them winning. Even if the offense didn't play well, even the special teams messed up, you knew the defense was going to be good enough to make sure they got to a bowl game. And then if you had an offense that was pretty good with a Tyrod Taylor, Michael Vick, all of a sudden you're talking about a team that could win double digits. That's a team that could win the Coastal, compete, win the ACC as they've done. Uh, Without Bud Foster in place, a lot of things have to come together. uh, And I'm just not sure the pieces are in place for for that kind of uh, consistency to continue. So it's not a matter of Virginia Tech beating UNC. It's more about UNC losing the game than Virginia Tech winning it, most likely, based on what we're talking about right now. I would agree with that. Like Virginia Tech's not going to outplay Carolina. They're going to shoot themselves in the foot. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think I think if Virginia Tech plays their A game and North Carolina plays their A game, Carolina's going to win. Yeah. Um, but if but if Carolina plays their B game, which is still pretty good, uh, it's going to be a very close game at the end. So uh, you know, I don't want to say that Virginia Tech's not any good right now because I don't think that's fair. Uh, I just think they're kind of on a downward slide. And I think North Carolina clearly is the better team here. Josh, what's the importance of teams knowing how to win and not only knowing how to win, but expecting to win? I mean, I don't think Carolina's there yet. I don't, I don't even as good as Mike Brown is in the motivation and all that. I don't think Carolina's can be at that level of we're going to win, period. I mean, like the video you see of Virginia Tech out there um, that they show the entrance and this inner Sandman and all this is going nuts and it's Clemson. Clemson boys are walking in there like, we're about to beat this ass. Is Where is Carolina on that scale for you? I don't think they're there yet. This is a very – this is where my philosophy is a little bit different. It sucks to lose a game. No one ever wants to lose a game, uh, especially a bowl game. So go back to the Orange Bowl. You, you, you want to win the game, obviously, and so, like, you're upset when you lose it. But then when you fast forward a little ways – if I'm looking forward facing to a new season, I'll look back. I'll say, I'm kind of glad UNC lost that game because I want blood in your mouth the entire offseason, first off. And secondly, I want, I want as much potential complacency that starts to set in before you ever want anything, no less. I want it to be evaporated. And I, I know exactly the game you're talking about with Clemson going in there. I, I remember how much that hype was built up. And it was, it was always about the environment. It wasn't about the Virginia Tech team. It was about the environment. That was what was going to have to be Clemson, the environment. And, man, Clemson walked in like it was their neighbor's house. And they were so comfortable. And they, they took the game by the throat. So much so that if I were an opposing coach in the future going in there, I wouldn't hesitate to show my kids that. And I would. here's the way you frame it to them. The way you frame it is you say, I know there are orange and white jerseys on these dudes right here, but those are just – those are just 18 to 22 year old kids and you're watching what they did and they went in there and they did that. They did something. In other words, that you are more than capable of doing to this team this year. 
So if you don't get it done, if you're rattled, I just want you to know the limiting factor is not this environment. The limiting factor is you. I showed you footage of some other kids go in there and have no problem with it. And so if you do have a problem with it, the problem's in the mirror. It's not out there. It's not in the crowd. It's you. You control all that stuff. You control it because has anyone ever heard a white hot crowd when you trail 17 to three after the end of one? That's just not the way this sport works. And you've this is not a ground and pound where you down over four quarters offense. It is a fast start offense when it's week one, man, it's on the road. But like, think about how quickly you could take the air out of that place. And then we circle back to what we're talking about with Justin Fuente. Don't think for a second that doubt's not lingering in the back of every Hokie fan's mind. I mean, the Virginia win last year threw me for as big a loop as any game in the season. Agreed. I mean, I was so high on Virginia because I thought that's it. Like, Half the fan base up there thinks this is it for Fuente. I think this is it. And then they end up beating Virginia convincingly. And all of a sudden, I mean, there's, there's, there's confidence. I don't know if it's manufactured or whether it's authentic, but there's some confidence. But, dude, you take an early lead against them, it's just – and then all of a sudden it's a football game with some people in the stands to watch it. But atmosphere is a non-factor all of a sudden. So fast start. I know everyone always says it's imperative. For that one there, though – you have the added benefit of a fast start that could win you a football game. But I also think it would tell you a lot about the neck up mentality of this Carolina team in general. And it would not surprise me one bit to see Phil Longo either on first down or second down, let Sam throw a vertical probably to Choffrey. It'll be a handoff to Ty Chandler, three yards, and then it'll be 72 yard touchdown. Like you can't, it's the only way that if they score first, it's the only way that's going to happen. And you can take, chances like that because this is not a Virginia Tech offense that strikes the fear of God in you I mean it's not it's not the one it's not something where we're gonna have to trade possessions or trade scores with them all night so absolutely yeah yeah that's that's the culture right Greg that's the culture that Mike's trying to to get through I just don't think it's just easily talked about it has to be done well the fact that the North Carolina in the last couple of years have trailed in the manner that they have I mean the Wake Forest game last year they were down 21 points in the third quarter. And I don't think anybody that was watching thought North Carolina was out of that game. And they came back and, and won uh, in impressive fashion. And so, yeah, a lot of it's Sam Howell for sure, but it's just the way that, that Phil Longo has built this uh, quick strike offense that you can go three and out two or three times in a row. Not that they do that, uh, but you know that there's a 75 yard bomb lurking. And I think that's, that, that's a big piece of the puzzle. Josh, we, we've talked about – you talked about NC State uh, being on the tail end of the schedule. We've talked about North Carolina. Just from a, a general perspective, who are some teams in the ACC outside of those teams uh, that have kind of caught your eye this preseason? I, I think it's kind of becoming popular to say Boston College at this point. Yeah. But BC is the answer for me. Uh, I think Miami's a lot more on the radar, and Miami's got my attention too, but – uh, the reason Boston College has my attention is because everyone's got perception of teams. The casual fan doesn't pay a lot of attention to BC. The more hardcore college football fan, though, that may not be a BC fan, but they, you know, they know Jeff Halfley. They know Phil, what's his name, Dracovic. Maybe I pronounced it right. Maybe I didn't. But I've seen him play some games. I don't think the perception of BC football matches what reality is going to be. I think people think of Boston College and they think of a certain style of offense and at least at the very at the very outset, I think what they're going to try to do this year 
it, it may take some people by surprise. I just don't think if you tune into a Boston College game, you're going to get the product you expect to get. And that's a good thing for the conference as a whole. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not one of these big, oh, it's, it's good for the health of the sport kind of guys, but it's good for the health of the conference to get as much competitiveness as you can up and down the coast. I mean, because we are perennially talking about what the answer should be to this question. The answer should be Florida State every year. It should be Miami every year, uh, but it hasn't been. And so where else can we find that? Clemson's more than upheld their end of the bargain, but where else can we find that to build up back to what we were talking about earlier a reputation hopefully by the end of any given season where a committee member is looking at the ACC. If you've gone through that thing with one loss, instead of saying they lost one game in the ACC. No, you got to go undefeated through that. If we're going to give you the time of day to all of a sudden looking at it and saying they only lost one game and they went through the ACC. Like that's the way you want them talking about your conference. Let me ask you about Miami. Uh, I mean, everybody, uh, a lot of people are talking about Miami this year. Tell me why, because uh, and explain it to the Carolina fans that are listening to this, because Carolina fans think 62-26, is that what the final was last year? And Javante, like, killing three guys on one play. I, I mean, tell, <laughs> tell, me, tell me why Carolina fans should wake up and listen to Miami, the, the Miami hype that we're sort of seeing. I wouldn't. If I were you, I wouldn't wake up and listen to it. I'd, I'd worry about myself. But if you are, let's say, a connoisseur of the entire conference, I, I think the Miami talk is justified right now in that there's a lot of excitement. Now, let me finish this sentence before we jump on it. There's a lot of excitement that you get Derek King back. You know, the same one you, you played against last year. Yeah, that's the, that's the end of that sentence. Oh, I get all that. So, But what I think is there is – I think there is something to be gleaned from how improved from an efficiency standpoint their passing game was last year. Now the hope is Rhett Lashley is a guy that like a lot of these coordinators that were brought in and then you expected to see take a quantum leap, but then COVID just kind of excuses everything. I think the hope down there is that he's a guy in year three under Manny Diaz. That's a quantum leap guy. That unit is a quantum leap unit, 20, 25% production improvement, whatever you want to say quantum is. But I think that, married with the aspect that they think for the first time they can actually look at their offensive line and whisper the word strength, maybe not yell it, but whisper the word strength. It's just not stuff that you've said about Miami in a while. Like they've had, they've had flash at receiver. They've had promise relatively speaking at quarterback, but you, you looked at the offensive line. At least I have, I've said the same thing with Florida for several years. Uh, Florida state's been the same. I don't know what it is about Florida teams. And you've said, all right, cool. I see all the preseason lists. You see the line they're playing behind? And it's a non-starter in most years. This year, at least I'm not calling that a non-starter. So I, I think Miami has the potential certainly to be the best team that Manny's had down there. And then if they were to have a good showing against Bama in week one, they, they'll go totally off the national radar. They'll play App State, Michigan State, uh, Coastal Connecticut, and Virginia. No, no one nationally in St. Louis, Missouri is watching that. The North Carolina game is the next game they watch. And that, if that decides the Coastal, the other thing that would buoy your confidence from Miami is just the way the schedule dynamic falls for that one, where they got, what, 16 days rest? You're playing the seventh game in seven weeks. So those that would be the case I would make if we were in court right now. Do we know enough about Manny Diaz to, to think that he could handle a team that's a legitimate top team 10? No. Top 10 team at this point in time? If I were a Miami fan, and I were honest with you, my answer would have to be no. 
I don't think you can answer otherwise. And I mean, unless you're, you're bathing in the Kool-Aid, I don't think people in the program would answer otherwise. I mean, if you're honest with yourself, you've got to understand you still got a lot to prove down there. Now, a, a reasonable person, they'll grant you three years, especially if one of the years was really weird, they'll grant you three years. But it's the same way with Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech. Like, you better show me more than three wins this year. Manny Diaz, you better show me more than puncher's chance against the decent teams and just get embarrassed against the good teams. You can't have that in year three. I agree. Go ahead, Gregory. Josh, I wanted to transition to some recruiting talk here. Travis Shaw announced his commitment date today. What would that mean as far as letting the ACC know? Kind of, especially battling Clemson in Georgia, just if UNC can get number three player in the country. Obviously, Max momentum has been building up to this point, and then he would finally kind of be there with that commitment. Yeah, I think it would it would get a lot of the juice back, obviously, that you would have had with any of the IMG kids most recently. Um, I, I remember sitting at our, our desk, which is in the studio over here, on National Signing Day, and I didn't think we could spend enough time talking about the job they did in state in this last cycle. I mean, that's the kind of, that's the kind of class that if they go on to continue building on the loose trajectory they're building right now in the year 2026, that's the kind of class you look back on. And those are guys that are just revered when they come back to Chapel Hill forever, because they are guys that laid a foundation. Once you've got it rolling, like if you commit to Bama right now or Ohio state, you go wherever you want to, and that's all well and good. But you, you hopped on a train that was already moving. But if you, if you built the train and you put it on the tracks and you started it moving, it just means a little extra. Those, Nick Saban will tell you that about his 08 team with the like Julio Joneses of the world. Those guys bought in when there wasn't much to buy into. And so, but, but here's the benefit. Elite kids watch the cycles ahead of them. They especially watch the cycle ahead of them. And they see that all of a sudden, you know, if I've got your staff in my living room, and they're selling me on North Carolina, but I don't see anyone else buying it. I think you're selling me fool's gold. But if I'm Shaw or any other kid for that matter with a bunch of stars next to my name, I have multiple case studies of guys before me that have bought the vision, which means either these guys are fooling a whole lot of people or there's something legitimate to buy into here. And so what was the date, by the way, that he announced he was going to make his commitment on? August 21st. 21st. Okay. The, it would be huge. I mean, to use an obvious word there, it would be huge, but it's to me, it's, it means something anytime you're legitimately in that classification of team when you're not landing kids, even it means a lot because this is not, this is not putting that blue hat on the table just because you like the color of it. Like North Carolina is legitimately in these battles now. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter any on your depth chart if you finish second for a kid, but man, it just, it so changes the mentality of other kids in your class and future cycles when they keep seeing that UNC logo with this kid and this kid and that kid, and they get some of them, they don't get some of them, but all of a sudden it's not weird to put North Carolina in the top group for an elite kid anymore. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. And so, your point about looking at classes, I mean, especially in state, because ahead of him, you got Des Evans who bought in and he didn't have a great freshman year, but now it's everyone's talking about how he's put on weight and things like that. And then you've got Keyshawn Silver, who is another five-star guy, and they're both in-state guys. And then Javari Ritzy, who I believe is from Virginia, but still close by. I mean, you got guys that, I mean, he can come in and that defensive line would be, I mean, two years from now would be just have 
three future first round picks. How do you punch through? How, how does what does a team like Carolina have to do to punch through the Alabamas, Ohio States, Clemson's? Is obvious you beat Clemson, but how do you, how does Carolina ultimately punch through that seemingly same group we get in the playoff every year? They're in a unique position. Like North Carolina is unique under any team in America in what the answer to this question is because they've done the first thing. The first thing is securing the quarterback position for multiple years to come. So you got Sam Howell there this year, but when they got May to decommit from Alabama and then hop on board there for the future and you don't have to play him this year, so you get to develop him, that spoke volumes to me because that's what every other staff's trying to figure out. You can go get all the tailback talent in the world you want to. You can get the middle linebacker depth built up. But if you're, if you're B-minus at best at the quarterback position, that does not knock down the dam. Like I remember when Taj Boyd was at Clemson and then after him it was Deshaun Watson. I felt like when kids finally watched on the national level Deshaun Watson and Clemson go out to Glendale, Arizona, I think it was. They lost to Bama the first time around. But they went out there and they traded punches on a national level with a big boy. All of a sudden, it, I think that's what broke the dam open. I don't even think it was winning the title for him. I think being in that setting and trading punches was all of a sudden what broke the dam open and it wasn't just a Deshaun Watson begets Trevor Lawrence, begets DJ Uyangalale. It was all the ornaments that go on the tree, too. I was, we were doing our show tonight and looking at just how many receivers they have at elite level 6'3 or taller. They've got multiple weapons to choose from, and they get to select on the recruiting trail now. Carolina, they already answered the quarterback to me. Now, you stack as many of them as you can on the roster like Ohio State's doing, so you never turn them away. But at least you have that question answered. The next step would be if they were to get themselves in an ACC championship situation. And, and I mean, if they win the game, then the question's obviously answered. But if they were in a complete and knockdown, drag out knife fight with Clemson, 35-31 either way, something like that, that could go a long way in knocking their own portion of the dam down. And it's not that they're hurting in recruiting now anyway. But when you talk about winning those battles, like, for example, when we're talking about Travis Shaw there, or more specifically, when we're talking about stacking elite four- and five-star receiver talent and, and perimeter skill talent on top of each other, that's probably what it would take. Just, in other words, don't walk into my living room and keep telling me you're going to compete with these guys. When you can show me that you have, that's really the only recruiting pitch that some kids out there want to be sold. Absolutely. Greg, you agree with that? I do. I do. And not to walk you into a landmine, so I apologize if I am, Josh. But you mentioned this earlier, and I think it's a fascinating conversation. We have it a lot on, on the message boards. Uh, but there's some idea. Uh, it started with Florida State joining the, the league back in, I guess, 93 and the incredible run that they had. Uh, that for the ACC – to be this elite football program or conference that we think it needs to be that you've got to have Florida state be good. You've got to have Miami be good, right? I mean, the whole idea of bringing Miami in was you're bringing in this powerhouse. And yet since they've joined the ACC, uh, other than that one good year under Mark Rick, they, they really haven't been. Um, do you buy into the idea that you've got to have an FSU, you've got to have a Miami, you got to have a Clemson, you got to have a, maybe a Virginia tech be good. Or is there room there for some of these other teams, like you mentioned, a Boston College, to show consistently that they can win upwards of 10 games a year and that be enough without it being maybe some of these more traditional names? 
This is where I think the calendar has changed the answer to the question. See, that, that whole concept was born in what I think we could call at this point a bygone era in the recruiting context. And the bygone era was, the thought was it's got to be Florida State or Miami because they're the programs parked in Florida. Therefore, they are the only ones who could hoard their in-state talent. That We've watched how the state of Florida works in the recruiting game now. That's not reality anymore. In fact, more of the elite kids are leaving down there than have been staying. That's partly, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy. But I believe you have to have enough elite programs. I don't care. I couldn't care less what state they're in. I don't know that anyone would care about that. Like, what would it matter to me? What would the difference be if the Pitt Panthers were all of a sudden an elite power loading up their roster with talent from Florida, the same talent that you would perceive Florida State to have the edge on? the team is the team. Now I would agree if someone said it's less likely that a pit or a Boston college is a team that ends up cornering the market there. Yes. It's more likely it's UNC or even a Virginia tech because uh, we've seen them do it before. But to me, the name of the game here is talent acquisition. And I don't care where you are. I don't care what state's listed on your driver's license. If you've got a staff that can own it just regionally, if you've got a staff that can go cherry pick regionally down here, um, doesn't matter if you're North Carolina or Miami. Now, it yet helps. It's an obvious statement of the hour here. It helps if Miami or Florida State are upholding their end of the deal. But if that state's in flux, who's to say a North Carolina is not massively benefiting from that? Or who's to say that Louisville or, you know, we always, I always forget Louisville in this context, but let's say a Louisville or Virginia Tech. What if the rest of the conference is divvying up a lot of the Florida talent that the big two in the ACC would have kept home? that they otherwise can't. You, you navigated those landmines uh, very carefully and very wisely. So, so kudos to you. Uh, before we let you out of here, be remiss that we didn't ask you about uh, the college football playoff expansion. And then of course, when you start talking about that, you talk about the whole idea of, of conference expansion, especially with the SEC adding Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, just if you could just provide your, your overall thoughts on how all that's playing out. Okay. So you know how you just said, I, I masterfully dodged the landmine. <laughs> well, this is where I just belly flop onto it. Cause I don't care. Cause I got a feeling on this and it upsets some people, whatever. I hate expanding the playoff. I, I would, I would not care if you guys announced that we were retracting it and we were just going back to the old system. Cause I, the way I was raised, like the, the way that I was taught about the sport, I was not ever taught about the postseason. I was taught about bowl games, but I was not taught about the postseason. I was taught to revere the regular season. I was taught that every Saturday in the fall is that is a Christmas. I mean, that is a holiday weekend. And like my dad or like the, just the older folks in my life, they never talked about everything revolving around whether you make it to a national championship game when I would be taught about Bear Bryant or the, or the great Nebraska teams back in the 70s or Southern Cal, you had the context of championships. But when I popped in VHSs that my dad had recorded from back in the day, it was like a game played in Legion Field in Birmingham and in the middle of October. That's the kind of stuff I was raised on. So I, the phrase who's in to me has done as much either unintentional or maybe intentional damage to the fabric of the regular season as anything has. I am not a believer the playoff has damaged the regular season as much as people buying into the notion that the sport should revolve around the playoff. And that's been a choice. I haven't made it, but I think a lot of people have made that choice. 
I don't define what makes this sport great by the postseason. So expanding it is the last thing I ever wanted to see. And the last thing I want to see now uh, I'll live with it. Like I'll still make a living talking about it and I'll, I'll cover whatever we have to cover. But if I had my way, I would retract that thing. And I would make this sport about the regular season to where if I had NC state playing wake forest at the end of the year, and they're vying for who's going to win eight games this year, I can still define that game just on its own merit. Cause we used to be able to do that. And now they're called meaningless, which is, asinine and you should have your mouth duct taped if you're talking like that in my opinion but as for texas and, and oklahoma people thought my take on that was weird too because i grew up covering the sec i'm an sec guy and i i don't like the move at all because i enjoy the regionality of the sport and and i enjoy i enjoy every corner of the nation mattering somewhat equally and if it's not it's not because of the structure of the sport it's because they haven't taken care of business. Like, I don't think the college football infrastructure has crippled the Pac-12 nearly as much as horrible decision-making has crippled the Pac-12. If, if the structure of college football is what was holding the Pac-12 down, Pete Carroll could never have done what he did at USC. So you're not going to sit here and tell me that West Coast teams can't flourish. Chip Kelly, Mark Helfrich went to a national title. They've done it twice at Oregon. That's one of the last programs in America that should be playing for a title. So um, as you see, I have belly flopped on the landmine and I've given you several quote edits here if you want to run with them, but I do not like expansion. I, I do not like the realignment. I just wish the way I metaphorically tied it in, I wish in the American sporting landscape, we could keep one natural preserve that we didn't have to watch change by 20% year over year. Everything about pro sports does that. And that's cool. If you love the Sunday product, you love the Sunday product. I just wish we could hit pause for a little while on the Saturday product at any given point. And just enjoy some consistency. That's really what I love. That is Josh Pate of the Late Kick with Josh Pate podcast on 24-7 Network. He has been gracious enough to join us. We're not done on this YouTube Live Inside Carolina's podcast, but Josh, I'm going to let you cut out. I know you've got other responsibilities, man. I do appreciate you coming on. I appreciate it, guys. I thank you for having me. Yep, yep. Thanks, Josh. And you are, welcome, you are welcome anytime to come shoot the breeze with the guys here at Inside Carolina. Take it All easy, guys. brother. Appreciate Hi, Josh. It. Hold on, hold on. I have to fix the overlay. Fix the overlay, and while you're doing that, I'm going to take Boom, a... fix. Look how easy that was. Was that quick? Yeah, I'm going to do it. Go look at it. This one's got our socials on it. Go check it out. I got to go look at this while I'm doing... Jo- uh, do it. You're confusing me, man. I'm old, right? Josh, so, obviously Josh had to go, but... Josh can, had to go, but this is still have... The overlay is just top shelf. Gregory, you, you're paying your own salary right here, man, with that stuff. That's just You can, but with expansion, okay? You can still have the NC State Wake vying for eight games, but still care about the playoffs. Hold on a second. Let me talk about Johnny T-shirt first, and then we'll get into the second half of this content, this uh, podcast. I'm just saying. I'm just We're saying going there because I'm going to tell you, nobody listening to this cares about NC State and Wake Forest. Well, I know, but I'm just well. Josh <laughs> is arguing. He's not here. I can't argue with him. He had to go. Next time we have him on, we can pick up where it is. But you cannot okay. argue with Talk that. About guy, Johnny, t-shirt. Johnny T-shirt, JohnnyT-shirt.com. You get some fabulous gear. They've got all their stuff for Carolina football coming out, uh, both in store and online. Support them. They're great friends of this podcast, and of course, Inside Carolina Premium subscribers get what that is ten percent off your everyday order for the audio podcast that'll come out. The national guys are going to pay the bills. We're staying right here on this YouTube live. We've got a ton of questions off the YouTube chat. Appreciate everybody staying with us. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's talk a little bit about Carolina specific and Greg Barnes. That's for that reason I bring you in. We talked about Ty Chandler with Josh. Um, we talked about Bateman in the defensive line um, before we got in deep, uh, neck deep with Josh. But where is the improvement that you believe has occurred for this team? Give me a couple guys maybe um, either side of the ball that have really jumped from when we saw them last in Miami and when we saw them in spring ball to where they are right now? That's a good question. I think there's a number of guys. Uh, I think the fact that the Josh Downs um, has had the breakout offseason that he's had, I think it's critically important for this offense. I didn't expect the offense to take a massive setback. Uh, but when you start talking about a guy like Downs really stepping in as the go-to receiver, I mean, we may find this year, if, if the hype is real, uh, that that he's he's better at wide receiver than anybody they had last year. And Hold so that, before you keep going, did you see the video that they posted of him leaving Don Chapman? Chapman yeah. Did you see that? <laughs> that was that oh was not very nice for gosh. Don to post that. Yeah, but let's be realistic. No one guy is going to cover that guy. You better have a safety over the top. Well, exactly. It's just it was a one on one drill. It looked so easy. Like he, he didn't even like like I knew he wasn't even going that way on the video. Oh, it was just sorry. We're going to reenact that in the Bowles lot parking lot, and it's going to be you trying to cover me. So anyway, but, but go Tommy, ahead. that's that's a cover good point there day. because <laughs> the guy that you had to make sure you had a safety over the top last year was Deami Brown, who was an outside wide receiver. You didn't have to have a safety over the top for Daz Newsom. That may not be the case with Josh Downs. So you, Choffrey Brown is faster than Deami. That doesn't mean he's same level wide receiver. That's yet to be seen. But if you've got a guy like Choffrey who can just go all out on a vertical and then you've got Josh Downs lined up in the slot beside of him who's maybe going to run a post, I mean, good luck to the safety trying to you know, defend both of them, right? Mm -hmm. Especially when you got Sam Howell throwing the ball to him. Um, so that's a challenge. But I, I think I think Downs for sure. But then defensively, I mean, I think Curious Conley is going to break out this year. I think he's finally in a position where he, he needs to be and it's going to be – a place where he's thrives for a long time, including at the NFL. Um, I think the fact that you have a guy like Des Evans who has matured and kind of understands what he's supposed to do. They expect a lot of big things out of him. Uh, Miles Murphy, I uh, can't say enough about everything that we've heard from that guy. Uh, I know that the big names are Silver and, and Ritzy for good reason. They're the high-profile freshmen. Murphy was arguably the, the best defensive lineman North Carolina had late in the year last year, you know, good chance he's the best DL that they have to start the year. So there's just a number of guys that have really elevated their play in the offseason. Um, and if all of those guys take a step forward during the season, uh, that's where you get some of this hype. And some of the reason that a lot of people think North Carolina is a legitimate challenger to Clemson and the ACC, uh, which, which remains to be seen. But the fact that they are a legitimate you know, preseason top 10 team that people aren't doubting, I think that says a lot. Listening to Bateman today, 
Um, and we've talked about it a ton on this podcast. You got eight, eight or nine guys, maybe ten guys um, on the defensive line that are you know two eighty five or more or whatever. Realistically, Greg, and this is a question I kept wanting. If I were on that podcast or excuse me that uh, press conference with Jay Bateman, I would have tried to ask: Is realistically, how many guys can you play? How many guys can you rotate on that defensive line? And how do you keep I – mean, you preach to be fresh, make plays and all that, but how do you keep them all happy if you've got guys like he talked about that have earned the right to play? That's the challenge. I, mean, I think in terms of number of players that they think can play, uh, there's more than a true too deep. There's probably seven or eight guys that they really believe they can roll out there. But it, but it is, how do you determine who gets to play um, and how do you make sure the guys are rested so that in the fourth quarter you can put the right guys in? Uh, and that, that's going to be the, the juggling act. I mean, the conversation to this point has been what? Has been, okay, we know Aaron Crawford and Jason Strobridge are infinitely better than their backups, but is Aaron Crawford at 75% better than whoever may be behind him at 100%? That was the question they're, they're having to ask. Now it's, okay, do we want to put Ray Vahasek at nose for 50 snaps? and then bring in his backup for 30? Or do we want to make it more 40-40? And I don't know that you actually figure that out until you actually get into games and see you know, what's the threshold for Ray taking a step back. Is it 55? Is it 50? Do we know? Does it depend on the type of offense that we're playing? Um, I think all those questions are, are very uh, intriguing, and that's why Jay Bateman has a lot of help because there's going to be guys watching film with him saying, okay, well, I think we've got this set for this week. Let's see exactly what plays out. We'll see a lot of situational defensive line rotations, just kind of like with right receivers, right? You've got the – or running backs. You've got the short yardage guys and things like that. And Jay Bateman has done that in the past. I think it was – Greg, I think it was the – it was the Clemson game when Clemson was in town, and we were constantly watching every time there was third down, on would come Strobridge and Crawford, Right. And but the first and second down guys, they relied enough. The backups did a good enough job to get to third down and things like that. And so depending on how the offense shows up in certain situations, and I think we'll know what Bateman wants to do against Virginia Tech, because, I mean, if UNC gets ahead. Right. And then you can kind of instead of using the Georgia State game to see where these freshmen are at, you can use the second half of the Virginia Tech game. Right. Not as far as like a. We're going to put them out to the wolves and hang them out to dry, but they expect those guys to be able to play in big games and season opener wouldn't be, there's not much of a larger game. And if you can find that out earlier, then you're set. Yeah. And to kind of flesh out what Gregory said right there about situational aspects, you have guys like Ray Vahasek and Kevin Hester and Tamari Fox and Miles Murphy. They're going to be your base play guys up front, maybe first and 10, second and seven. Uh, but there's going to be situations where you have an obvious passing down. It may be third and nine, and you know they're going to be throwing the ball. But Jay Bateman's going to be able to say, okay, well, uh, Clyde Pender is a really good pass rusher. He's also a nose tackle. We'll put him in. Tamon Fox played defensive end last year. We know he's a good pass rusher. He's been playing outside linebacker. But we can slide him inside, which allows you to bring in Des Evans and Chris Collins. So you have three legitimate outside linebackers that can rush the rush a passer um, so you're going to see a lot of those uh, mixes and matches and I think that's going to be very important for what Jay can do 
Um, it's, it's going to be interesting. He's going to have a lot of different puzzle pieces to put in, uh, but he's, he's got a lot of options. That's the, the interesting thing to watch is how do they decide those things, you know, and how do they, and how does it play out? And we always talk about the hot hand on the running back side or whatever. Do they play the hot hand on the defensive line? The guy, you know, Vahasek's going nuts this game. Let's play him more. Or, or do they stick to a rotation? I think we would 100% agree that, um, and you mentioned it, the 75% Crawford versus the 100% whoever it was backing him up, those days are over for Carolina. And that speaks to the, the recruiting, uh, to the bodies, to the development of some guys that are already on the stat or already on the team before Silver and Ritzy got there. Speaking of those guys, and people always ask about the freshmen and Greg, and Gregor, you can chime in as well. From what I gather, uh, Javari Ritzy is going to be one of the main guys. Uh, he's he's going to get a lot of playing time. We don't hear as much about Keyshawn Silver. Is that just due to the amount of – talented depth that Bateman has and where do you see those freshman guys um, being a factor um, as the season progresses Greg I thought you called him Gregory no I said Gregory could comment too but I let it with you I mixed it up I'm sorry you're asking specifically about silver yeah silver and Ritzy but more so silver I mean is he a guy that you think can contribute yeah, for sure. I think he can contribute. Um, I, I think that the issue is going to be there's so many, so many bodies in front of him uh, that he doesn't have to play. And I, I think fans are going to have to get used to that because for so long in North Carolina, if you were a five-star or four-star recruit, if you came in, if you didn't play early, there was probably something wrong with, with the player, right? Because why else wouldn't a four-star be playing? We're past those days. I mean, there's so much talent on this defensive line right now uh, that Silver could be really good, but, you know, he, he may not be top two uh, tackles on the, on the team. Um, and so people are going to have to kind of hold their horses a little bit and understand that development will take place. Uh, these guys will, will play for sure. Uh, you know, Jay Bateman is going to keep them happy. But they get to decide how much they play. And if it takes them a little bit of time, uh, we'll see. I will say, uh, Javari Ritzy, athletically, uh, just pops to me. I mean, he, he's just phenomenal. I think the kid could play outside linebacker, but he's built like a traditional defensive end. I would be surprised if he doesn't play a lot uh, because kind of like Miles Murphy, uh, they're very quick, they're very strong, uh, just just good athletes. And, and Silver has put on put on some weight and just really looks to me to be more of a true tackle. And then you're start, when you start talking about tackles, you're talking about the Hasek, Tamari Fox, Christian Varner, Kevin Hester, who had a great spring. So there's a lot of bodies at that tackle position uh, that Silver is going to have to beat out. And uh, being a, a true freshman, that's going to be tough. You could see Ritzy more. He can obviously stop the run, but maybe more on pass rush downs, whereas Silver – I mean, Ritzy's probably going to play more than Silver out of the gate, mainly because of Silver's injuries that he dealt with in the spring, right? He didn't get the same amount of time as Ritzy did, so I think that might play a role. But with Silver's, Greg mentioned the weight, his the weight he's put on, but he's, he's not slow. He's not fat. Like, he's still – he's just built. He's big. He's a more – he's a nose tackle or a defensive tackle and could 
maybe plug some holes during the run more than Ritzy could with Ritzy could be utilized for his speed and his athleticism to get around tackles and tight ends and things like that. I think that's the, what we might see early on. Greg, let me ask the stormed up question. I mean, where is he in the progression? We talk a lot about him. He, he played well. He did not play much at all last year. Um, and he seems to be dinged up this year. Uh, What's going on there, and or Grimes and McMichael, the guys we need to be looking at um, for Virginia Tech, if you know? Well, I'd say right now, I think that's a safe bet. I mean, Michael and, and Grimes are going to be your, your two main guys. Uh, you, Duck dealt with the, the foot injury last year, slowed him even in the spring, but now it's upper body. And so we're not exactly sure what, what the injury is. Uh, Storm's an interesting case. Uh, just, you know, kind of talking around the program in terms of kind of where he stands and, and those types of things. So uh, we're digging around, trying to figure out uh, all we can about Storm and, and his situation. But the fact that the Day-Day Hollins has really stepped up, I think, is, is important. Um, and so as, as Jay talked about, uh, I guess, yesterday, when you got Grimes and McMichael, who are just primed to have really good years, then you got a guy like Hollins who's really elevated his play over the last year, as well as we, we know a good Storm Duck can be. That gives you a lot of options with what you want to do. I mean, if you want to put all three of them out there, put one at Nickelback, you can do that. I think a lot of fans would probably like to see that, but those guys are talented enough where you can pull some of that stuff off. Greg, are you still wanting to stick with your uh, Des Evans over Tamon Fox and Sachs, the bet we've got? Yes. Greg, do you still agree with that? I still think Taman Fox is an unrecognized guy that's going to pop this year. Or is it going to be Des Evans and satisfy Gregory Hall's a desire for the young guys to lead? I'm kind of a you've got to prove it to me kind of guy. Um, and so Taman Fox is a proven commodity. And the fact that he is playing for an NFL contract, the fact that he's finally playing his true position, I think it'll be a very good year for him. I think Des will have a good year too. Uh, but I'll say that if Des has a better year than Taman, uh, then both of those guys have had phenomenal seasons. Greg, just pull out the – he's having a contract year on us, a little NFL yes, talk. I, I did. <laughs> I did. That's why I came back to school. It's 100% a contract year. I know, I know. It's just funny. You don't hear, you don't hear he's got a contract year. He's got to perform. Super senior year is all contract, right? Which is also why I think Garrett Walson's going to have a big year. Because that's, I mean, he's blatantly talked about it. He was like, I want to get drafted. My brother got drafted. I don't want to be, I'm transitioning here, obviously. But that's a good point that these guys that came back, especially considering that they would have had their last year last year, like they've got nothing, like they've got, I guess, everything to lose. It's not, you can't really say they got nothing to lose because they've got the extra year, but they're working for their draft status. And obviously they want the team to win and, and things like that. But both of those guys, obviously I'm not saying Tamon Fox is going to have a bad year. He's going to have a great year. Des Evans is just going to have a better year. Tommy. Market. Buck. I'm already market. Mark, uh, Buck and Greg what do you want? have a what thing. Do you want? Well, you're not old enough to buy me a bottle of liquor. What? So. Yeah, yes, I am. <laughs> I'm messing with you, man. Oh. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a, uh, you're going to see if you can cover me in the parking lot of the bowls lot. Oh, heck yeah. Uh, when we're down there for Inside Carolina Live. Get a crowd gone. Yeah, really. I'll probably die out there. Greg, <laughs> what's the what's the schedule look like um, for the remainder or for the next couple of weeks of camp? Folks are clamoring for practice updates and all. Where are we as far as Inside Carolina getting those inside scoops? 
Well, a lot of it kind of depends on what the, the team doctors figure out and, and the fact that uh, we're dealing with, with some volatility with regard to COVID. Uh, I, we just don't know right now. But what we do know is that uh, we've got access, I believe, every day, but maybe two days the next couple of weeks. So we'll get plenty of, of content provided and have, have a lot of updates on where things stand. Uh, but in terms of our next opportunity to actually watch the team, uh, that's up in the air at this point in time, but we do expect to be able to watch the team again. It is uh, fascinating to pay attention to the player interviews. There's a ton of stuff on Inside Carolina's YouTube channel that you're watching this on right now. Click over uh, to the YouTube channel to see all those posted interviews. Bateman's interview is always fabulous. Uh, Matt Brown's on there a lot. Gregory Hall. Speaking of the interviews, some of these players this year have really stepped up talking to us. Like they've been, they've been awesome. Emory Simmons today. I mean, everyone today. Giovanni Biggers today. I don't even remember. We probably talked to Giovanni Biggers twice, maybe, if we got him after a game, Greg. Yeah, maybe. And he was phenomenal today. I've got a story on him coming up. But, like, so if you haven't watched any of these interviews or these clips, you got to go watch them because they're they're fun. So here's the question, and, and Ross and I were talking about this all fair. Um, if you look at their bios now, you have all the social media stuff, right? Twitter and Instagram yep. and whatever else. How much of this, I mean, Trey Morrison has never really talked a lot to us. And just, he's had to just because he, he's had Even to. after wins or good performances. Right. But yet the other day, he's all chatty Cathy, right? How much of that is NIL based? Hi, a lot. You think, right? I would think a large portion of it. It's, it's I mean, a new and their media training with Jeremy and just yeah. all of it. It's like branding. Like, I've tried to, I've gotten you to the point where you can talk, but now look, if you want your brand out there, let's see what you can do. And I think those guys have definitely, I think it, it has to have played a role. They're not just talking to us because they like us. And so. not to get off on a tangent, <laughs> but, but for years and years and years, well, for years and years and years, you know, the basketball guys, because you know, the, the basketball program was, kind of where it was but also because there's only 13 guys on the basketball roster so in terms of talking to the media there's only so many options right sure. when you got 85 guys it's a different story um, but they were really trained and, and taught how to speak with the media and how to present themselves and all that so they were taught branding before branding was even really a thing until black falcon came along and harrison barnes did all that however many years ago that was uh, but you're starting to see that creep into the football side of things. And it's fascinating. I, mean, I think it's good for those guys. Remember when they let us talk to Cole, like in the freshman before, yeah. like they had the freshman role. Right. But then Steve was like, no, we'll have the freshman out for you. And that was because Cole was cold and how big a name he was and things like that. And now yep. it's not a thing. Yep. That right there. And I know this is a bad tangent um, way away from football, but that change, it was as big a sea change for Carolina basketball ever as far as how it dealt with the media. I mean, it didn't matter who you were. You never spoke to the media until you actually played a game until Cole Anthony came along. That was fascinating to watch. But, Greg, to your point, the football guys getting their their message out there, getting their face out there and, and speaking to the media, it's all part of the process. Uh, I mean – we had Daz Newsom on after he graduated on this podcast with me and Joey Powell. No, actually, it was you, Greg, mm -hmm. to to help him learn the ropes and to get better with the media and get better answering questions as a professional athlete. It's all part of the process. 
since we're on since we're on tangents, buddy of mine, he plays tight end at Vanderbilt and he was trying to get an NIL deal with this like local Mexican restaurant in Nashville that's like popular, just like a local restaurant, just like if Monterey wanted to sponsor a UNC football player, but Vanderbilt shot it down because the restaurant's primary sales came from tequila. So he couldn't have the deal. I thought that was pretty funny. That is as Vanderbilt as it gets. Boys, this (laughs) has been On The Beat Podcast live on YouTube. Gregory Hall, Greg Barnes, Johnny T-Shirt. It's always been a pleasure. And don't forget Josh Pate. So if you picked us up late and you missed Josh Pate of the Late Kick Podcast, go back and check this one out on YouTube. It was worth the time and definitely worth your time listening to what he's got to say and checking out his podcast on the 24-7 Network. Boys, it's been a pleasure.